This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, we're going to be talking about nutrition and dog food. A lot of issues, obviously, around working dogs and our diets and how it affects the performance of the dog. So in order to really get deep into this issue, I brought on a friend of mine, Russ Kelly. He's with Royal Canine, and they're a longtime vendor at Hits. I've met Russ several times, very, very knowledgeable. So I brought him on to kind of, we're going to talk about how uh, nutrition affects the performance of the dogs, maybe some feeding schedules, kind of scratch the surface on a lot of different things. Hopefully it'll open up a little dialogue. If you are listening to this and you have some questions, just simply email me your questions. And if needed, we'll bring Russ back on in a couple of weeks and answer you know any follow-up questions we have because this is a, a real important topic and it always seems to breed quite a bit of uh, discussion. So without further ado, uh, Russ, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your program, Jeff. So anybody that has been to HITS and listens to this, they know that we don't do infomercials, but I'm always happy to you know, have people from the industry. And I mean, you work for a, a major dog food company. You guys do lots of research there. So it's uh, I have no problem talking about where you're from and, and some of the, the background you have. So if you don't mind, you know, kind of give me a little of your background and, and what you're doing right now in, in the industry. Sure. Glad to. Now, so I've, I've been in the industry for uh, quite a few quite a few years. This is I'm working just moved beyond my 24th year. Most of my career has been in the discover side of research or the upstream research, which is more about discovering technologies rather than the commercialization of foods. You know, I've spent uh, really 23 of the 24 years working in those areas primarily on physical performance, maternal nutrition, and puppy growth. Uh So those have been sort of the three areas that I focused on. How did you get into the field to begin with? Is it something in college that got an interest in? I did my graduate work in uh, animal science, really studying embryonic muscle development. And I will say I was extremely lucky. I got a call from the uh, vice president of the IMS company for their uh, research and development at that point, and they were wanting to increase their research areas in maternal nutrition. You know, I, my wife and I both were at Auburn University at that point, working for the experiment station. And I came up, met with them, and it was, you know, it was a really good fit. And I was excited about the opportunity and joined the company. Clay Matil still owned the, the company at that point and stayed with the company through the Procter & Gamble acquisition and, and then the Mars acquisition and was really ecstatic about joining the Royal Canin side as well as excited about the Yukonuba brand moving to the Royal Canin division in 2016. So it's been a fun-filled career. I mean, sure. in terms of that, I mean, I... You know, it's not just a, I'm going to say, not just a professional interest for me. It's a, a personal interest. I've had sporting dog my whole life. I think I purchased my first two bird dogs when I was nine. And I've had sporting dogs of, of one breed or another, you know, since that point. 
And I, I currently have a English setter and a, a German short hair pointer. Uh, so I don't, you know, don't necessarily have a, a pointy eared dog yeah, that's yeah. doing, that's doing, you know, law enforcement type work, but they're still detecting yep. and looking for, looking for scents out in the field. So it's very closely related. And we have a lot of the same challenges, you know, my dogs as the officers have with their canine partners. Yeah, and I think we'll get into some of the the differences and similarities. I know uh, one of the the things that's probably that might surprise some of the cops, and we could probably talk about real quick here, is that when we're talking about you know working dogs, some dogs depending on where they work, what their jobs are, some dogs are uh, even though they are quote working dogs, some dogs are not nearly as active as maybe we think they are. Whereas uh, you know the bird dogs are probably getting worked at least during bird season and stuff. So. I think that'd be a good place maybe to start when we're going to talk about diets is what do we need to look for in our dog? And is that been your experience that maybe uh, some guys think, well, I have a police dog, so he needs this super high protein, super this, super that food, and he needs a lot of it, but the dog's not really getting nearly as much exercise as maybe they believe he is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a it's an excellent point. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just the law enforcement sure. area that has this. I mean, you know, in terms of doing a really accurate evaluation of like how much energy your dog is using is very important when it comes to selecting the right food. And with that said, if we if we just use sort of like the extremes of, you know, where we can go wrong, you know, in terms of selecting a food that's too light in terms of energy density and having to feed that dog, you know, certainly there are dogs out there that are being fed eight plus cups of food a day. Yeah. And, uh, that is a lot of material for dog's GI system to try to process. And we generally, eating that volumes of food, we tend to see decreases in the dog's efficiency of extracting nutrients or the digestibility goes down, not necessarily because of the food, but just the pure volume sure. of food that's being, being asked to be processed. And then we on the opposite end of that, we have people who are, basically inaccurately saying, oh, I, you know, I've got a super active dog and I need the most energy dense diet I can find. And they end up, you know, either having a fat dog yeah. or an overweight dog, or they're only feeding, you know, say a cup and a half of food a day. And, you know, when we look at from a nutritional standpoint, we are not just trying to provide, you know, just energy balance to that dog. We're basically trying to provide proper level of, of energy. We're trying to provide the proper level of protein intake, carbohydrate intake, fat intake, vitamin intake, mineral intake. And all of that really comes down to, you know, basically selecting the right food. I mean, in, in reality, most of the dogs that we're talking about in this area, we really should be looking at, you know, three to five cups of food a day you know, maybe some of the highest, you know, highest sure. active dogs might be a little bit more than that. But, you know, certainly that is a really good place to start is that three to five cups of food a day to maintain your dog's body weight. So and, I, I'll uh, tell you, I'm very guilty of this. And I think probably a lot of our listeners are too, is that oh, maybe as my dogs, I've had lots of different police dogs. And as they've gotten older, I think my tendency has been, well, I'm going to cut their food back a little bit because I don't want them to get fat while I'm working them and or even when they retire. 
But maybe that's not the right idea. Maybe the idea is to keep giving them that three to five cups, but start adjusting what food I'm giving them as opposed to staying on the same diet and cutting the food back. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were feeding, you know, five cups of food a day and as the dog maybe got a little older and and its activity level came down, you know, it's okay to to drop to four. Yeah. But you don't want to get to where you're really feeding, you know, very, very small amounts of food because it's not in terms of that. You may be matching that dog's energy requirements, but a lot of the other nutrients that are being provided by the diet you may not be giving enough of those nutrients given the okay. dog's body size. Okay. When you look at the feeding guidelines, and I know the feeding guidelines that we put on a package, those are good guidelines for, you know, to sort of sit, sit there as a starting point. I mean, if you look at, you know, for an active dog, if you look at that feeding guidelines and find the body weight, you know, if you're not close to what that recommended feeding guideline is on a daily basis, you know, you need to really evaluate, do I need to go to a more dense food if you're feeding way over that, or if you're you're feeding less than that amount, you know, you may want to look at, at a less energy dense diet because those feeding guidelines are really designed for the pet dog. Okay. So it's not for that body weight. That's a good starting point to evaluate where you are in terms of your dog from a food selection standpoint. Am I safe to kind of assume that if you're saying for a pet dog, that when I look at it, it says, you know, on a package, if it says you should feed five and a half to seven cups a day, maybe you're active working Malinois that is burning some kennel energy also run around, probably on the, the higher end of that. So when we're looking well, at yeah, the working it, yeah, dog, I mean, we might be on the higher yeah. end of it. I mean, me personally, I would say that, you know, if that's the guidelines that provided on that food, you probably should look for a working dog, you know, even if it's a, a moderately active working dog, it's probably going to exceed that dog's nutritional requirements okay. are going to go beyond that food. I mean, in terms of that, we really probably should be looking at for the vast majority of these dogs, we probably should be looking at a at a food that recommends three or four cups of food for their body weight. Okay. That you know, we should be looking at that. I you know, in terms of you know, I won't derail the, the conversation, but you know, in terms of like our Yukonuba performance line, what we've done there, Jeff, is very intentionally of basically providing all the benefits that we feel like are needed by the dog. That's, you know, GI technology, joint health, antioxidants, you know, adequate high quality proteins. We basically provided that across the entire platform of our performance diets, but we've staggered the energy density. So we have for like the vast majority of these dogs would be either on exercise uh, of the pro line. That's the, least energy dense of okay. the performance diets and then sport which is a you know i'm going to say a traditional 30 percent protein 20 percent fat diet mm -hmm. and then we have work which is a big step up in terms of yeah. energy which you know it's it's a 30 28 design but with that all of those foods have the same benefits in terms of the physiological systems and it really makes it easy for the owner to basically say, okay, I don't have to worry about the benefits. I just need to make sure that I'm selecting the right energy level for my dog. 
and make that work. So let's talk about that real quick. I'll tell you anecdotally, with whether it's scientific or not, you know, I've been fortunate that I've worked a lot of dogs and I've helped train a lot of dogs. And what I've seen is that some of the dogs that are on the more protein-dense food, if they don't need that food, I see diminished performance in the dog. They seem almost a little bit lethargic. Is that something that I'm imagining? Or is that one of the problems with not having the correct food? Well, I mean, certainly from a standpoint that... Me personally, I really don't like to see levels of protein fed beyond what the requirement is for that dog. The reason, I mean, certainly protein can serve as an energy component to the diet, but it's certainly not as efficient as utilizing fats and carbohydrates. You know, in terms of that, I really like to identify a food that's, I'm going to say, that's sort of matched in terms of the dog's activity level from a structural maintenance standpoint. I mean, we think about the protein side of the the diet. The skeletal muscles are, well, muscles in general are very, very predominant in terms of protein. The skin of a dog is, is very high in protein. The hair is very high in protein. The internal organs are very high in protein. And that's where we want those amino acids that are provided by the protein to be utilized is for maintaining the structure of the dog okay and then allowing the energy to come from the fat and the carbohydrate section of the of the diet okay i didn't know that so here's a quick question on when we're talking about weight i've always been trained you know that basically on most dogs you should be able to feel their ribs but not see them is that still a good rule of thumb for when we're trying to judge our feeding yeah, I mean, I think in terms of whether we're talking law enforcement dogs or we're talking sporting dogs or whether we're talking search and rescue dogs, these dogs that are out working, then is good. We don't yeah. want them underweight, but we want to basically minimize the excess weight that's on their systems. I mean, this is going to help them in terms of a, a thermal regulation standpoint or, or the being able to to keep cool and i'd like to you know hopefully we will find time to talk about that a little bit later but you know the other thing to keep in mind is in terms of the amount of jumping and bouncing around that we ask these dogs to do you know in terms of getting out and doing their jobs you know the more weight that their bodies are carrying the more pressure is put on their joints you know you pick even a patrol canine officer I mean, ask yourself how many times it jumps in and out of that truck. Yep. You know, in terms of that, just having just a few extra pounds is going to dramatically increase the amount of pressure that his joint has to absorb. So in terms of that, I don't like to see a dog that's really thin, but you certainly should be able to feel the ribs. When you place your hands on the rib cage, you should be able to clearly feel the ribs of those dogs. And, you know, in terms of where we, we compare those to, say, uh, if you look at the a lot of the charts that are out there yeah. and you see, you know, ideal for the pet. Yeah, yeah. Then, you know, we should never have our working dogs. We, we should never have body conditions beyond that. I mean, we want them to be on the thinner side of that ideal. We don't want them underweight, but we want them to be on the thinner side of ideal as regarding versus a pet. 
I've I've always been told, and again, you know, this is maybe it's not scientific, but it's I can tell you I've seen what I believe would make it true is that like about ten percent extra body weight on like especially on the detection side of a dog, ten percent extra body weight is going to take their abilities and their you know how long you can work them, how well they work, you know, just basically their entire performance. Ten percent is going to affect them by about twenty five percent on the work end of it. Is that kind of something that you've seen also? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't argue with that number. I, I can't say that I I have, you know, evidence to say that it's exactly, you know, that correlation, 10% to 25% decline. But certainly carrying extra weight is going to uh, decrease the endurance of that, that dog. It's going to basically put more stress on its joints. We know that body condition is a big, big component of thermal regulation in terms of these overweight dogs having sure. more difficult time maintaining proper, proper body temps. So, you know, in terms of that, the extra body weight, certainly there's nothing about it that's positive. Certainly. So now when I look at all these dog foods and there's a million out there, and even just within your own brand, you know, I have lots of different, like Yukonuba or Royal Canine, there are so many different ones. How do I know, you know, if everything's going good on my dog, is that the marker to know I'm feeding the right food? Are there things I should always be looking at, you know, either on the intake side or the outtake side or the performance? Food is so important, but I'll tell you, myself and I think a lot of people, you know, once I get a good food that the dog seems to be working on, Man, I just like to leave it alone because every time I go to change food, and I know a lot of people will say this, that then you have you know some performance issues, you have some diarrhea, you have this, you have that. So for a working dog, I've always been hesitant to change the food, but I, I never know, you know, am I getting the best performance out of them right now? So what are some things that I can look at, you know, overall to, to decide, is this the right food right now for this dog? I'm going to say there's not one specific thing that we can use. There are several there's sort of several visual factors that we can use. And, you know, I'm going to say, I have to agree with you. It is very, you know, it is very difficult for me to, to recommend someone change their food. If I look at their dog and the dog looks great, he's working great, you know, messing with a winning combination is a, a foolish thing to do. But in terms of evaluating, I mean, certainly the skin and coat health, that is a, a very, good visual cue in terms of how well we're feeding our dogs. If, if we look at like from a protein requirement standpoint or amino acid requirement, you know, the skin and the hair of a dog is one of the biggest components in terms of where the dietary protein is being utilized. It is a very large percentage of the total amino acid requirement. So that gives us a really good idea of how well the diet's doing. It also gives us a good idea in terms of the lipid or the fat component of that. The shine of the coat gives us a good idea if, if the diet's doing a good job. Stool quality is an extremely important visual feedback in terms of the handler. If a dog has got really nice, small, firm stools, the diet is probably working well for the dog. You know, with some of these, I'm going to say, with some of the personalities that are, you know, with the law enforcement dogs, you know, some do tend to have maybe a little softer stool than yeah. than the typical, and that may just be from their personality. I mean, in terms of sure. 
every time that dog gets a little excited or anticipates getting de deployed, that's going to basically potentially bring a little more water back into the lower GI tract, which can result in a softer stool. So, you know, with that, you have to take into consideration the personality of your dog sure. a little bit when you use that. But uh, Okay, so let me, I'm going to jump in and ask you an off-the-wall question, but I know sure. a lot of people are going to appreciate that I asked the question. And what I like about our industry is that talking about dog poop is kind of something that is important. And we did a whole class one time at HITS, and it was well-received about giardia and diarrhea. I mean, it was a disgusting class, but everybody, you know, everybody's dealt with it. If you have a working dog, you right. have these issues. So what you just talked about is the dog gets excited, drops some water into his lower GI. So anybody who's been around working dogs for any period of time, luckily I haven't had this dog, but I've seen plenty of them. And there's some in my training group that that dog, no matter how many breaks they give him during the day, he gets into the building, boom, he's going to take a dump. So is that something that can I know it's related to his excitement for working, but is that something that possibly food could help with? Yeah, certainly from a standpoint of having, you know, a highly digestible diet that's got a nice fiber system, it's going to help. I won't say that it's going to eliminate sure. it. No. But it's going to help in terms of that. I've, I'm going to say on, on my end, people in the sporting dogs, we've seen the same thing. You, they, you have a certain dog, you turn loose and within two minutes of turning them loose, they're going to, you know, squat yep. and defecate. It's just coming into some of their personality. We want to, we basically want a food that that's got a nice GI technologies. That's going to help with that, not necessarily eliminate it, no. but it's going to help. Yeah. And we, we can deal with soft stools. You know, we don't want liquid diarrhea. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's hard for anybody to deal with. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, like, for the, the dogs that defecate in the building, you know, I've kind of always looked at it as a training problem. I never really considered the food component of it. So that's, right. I'll mention this too, is that, you know, your company, lots of dog food companies are very approachable. I know you guys have some really good customer service. So that would be a question that if I called up and said, you know, I work in a Labrador, he's a bomb dog. This is one of my issues. This is his weight. Here's some things I'm seeing. You guys could mm -hmm. then start directing me towards which food you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, and we'll include that information in the show notes about, you know, how to get a hold of you and, right. and, and Corey. And I think another, you know, when we're talking about things that this is not necessarily, a, since we're on the topic of stools, you know, the odor of stools, not that any of it smells great. Yeah. But, you know, I think all of us have, have been around a, been around a dog and, it's defecated. I mean, and it just yeah. smells horrific. Yeah. You know, a lot of times that odor is associated with poor or reduced protein quality. And so the digestibility of those proteins are not, not very good. Uh -huh. And so they get bypassed down into the lower GI tract and then the bacteria that resides in the gastrointestinal tract start fermenting some of those proteins and that's what generates that really you know future factors and the the feces just smells awful you know that's another kind of a indicator of you know is my diet not that it's going to smell like roses, oh exactly yeah but but it shouldn't it should yeah. be something that's not making us gag too yeah and and the amount that the dog is putting out is that relative to how much he's taking in, or should it be substantially less if they're if they're processing at all? Well, I mean, certainly the higher the digestibility, 
you know, in reason, there's going to be a, a reduced stool volume. You know, we don't want a diet that maybe has a poor, you know, fiber profile. You know, we don't want dogs defecating little briquettes. Sure, sure. We want a firm stool, but not a dry, hard stool. Okay. You know, that can make it, I'm going to say, tough for the dog to pass. But the other thing, you know, that's a concern, when I see a sort of a dry, hard stool, you know, my mind first jumps to dehydration. Sure. That this dog is dehydrated because it, the fecal material should have, you know, it should have some moisture content. About a third of it should be, you know, should be water. Sure. Okay. Okay. And you had mentioned also that another way to really judge is the coat. So I work two different Labradors. They do two different things. One's a black lab, one's a brown, the chocolate lab. The chocolate's a bigger dog, but he doesn't shed nearly as much as the black lab. He sheds quite a bit. Their coats feel a little different. I'm feeding them the same food. Is that <laughs> something where maybe the food's doing well with the chocolate lab and the black lab might need a different type of food? His coat feels, it doesn't feel dry, but he just sheds more. So is that... And shedding amount, I mean, it certainly can be influenced by food, but it has a big genetic component as well. I okay. mean, especially, I mean, we're coming up on May, and, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to say just about anybody that's got a Labrador, you know, they, they have yeah. no trouble telling what coat, what <laughs> color coats they are because there's plenty of hair around yep. uh, this time of year. But, you know, certainly it's one of those where, you know, perhaps the, from an ideal standpoint, maybe the black lab could use a little more of the essential fatty acids, which okay. is our, sort of the building blocks of, of fats. Maybe that would, you know, help shine the coat up a little bit. I don't know. Is it a shiny coat? Or? Um, no, it's kind of a dull black, but it just, uh, it, he just sheds more. And I mean, I, I can't take it more as genetics, but I've wondered that. And the main protein in, in both of their food is uh, salmon. So that kind of brings me to my next question is how important is that when, when we're reading the label, you know, you get obviously, you know, just going to any dog food store and you can see bison, salmon, right. what, you name yeah. it, we can, we can feed it. How important yeah. is that? You know, it's unfortunate for the consumer. I mean, in terms of the name of an ingredient, you know, unfortunately tells the consumer very little about the quality of that diet. You know, in terms of whether we're talking, in your case, salmon, right? It could yeah. be a very high quality a salmon or salmon meal, but it could be also a very low quality salmon meal. We have, we see a lot of chicken. The range of quality of chicken can be anywhere from 75% digestible to all the way down to, you know, probably in the low 60s. Okay. And this, so in terms of the name of an ingredient, it really provides the consumer very, very little information. And, and it's hard to, you know, to be honest, it is hard to look at a package and get an idea if it's a good food or not. I mean, you know, there's companies that have, I'm going to just say mediocre foods and they, they spend lots of money on terms of putting together really, really pretty pictures on uh -huh. their package. But in, in terms of that, the, the money was spent on pictures, sure. not necessarily, you know, the materials that went into it. You know, I think I'm a little bit biased because we do a lot of testing in terms of learning about what animals need and, and as well as the, the products that we put in the market. I mean, I think that's an important part in terms of, you know, building a relationship with the company you're going to 
eat your dog. You know, oh, I agree. I agree. And I haven't yeah, met a, I haven't met a person in your company yet over all the years I've dealt with your company that doesn't have some type of working dog. So it seems like you all have, you know, an interest in performance of a working dog. It definitely okay. helps. You mentioned it once or twice, whether you said chicken meal or salmon meal or something. For the people that are listening that don't understand, what does that mean when you say chicken meal? When I see that um, on a label, um, can you kind of explain what that is? It's basically chicken that's been dehydrated rendered in terms of that a lot of times that some of the fat will be taken out and uh, you know it can be a refined or non-refined and what we mean by that is the chicken or our chicken byproduct meal either one can contain you know various amounts of bone the refinement process usually removes some of that so we can have a high ash chicken which would have a lot of bone in it, or we could have low ash chicken, which would have the refinement would be sort of a reduced bone level. Uh Both of those now be labeled chicken on the label of the bag. And it could be anywhere in between. Yeah. You know, so in terms of that, and, you know, certainly in my opinion, you know, the chicken byproduct meal, you know, it's a very, very, or can be a really, really good material in terms of providing essential amino acids as well as essential fatty acids to the dog it's got a lot of people due to some commercial advertising view it as negative Um, Mm -hmm. but we we think about in terms of what that byproduct meal means is that the internal organs you know can be included in that so things like heart liver spleen all of those could go into the chicken byproduct meal and when we look at like the level of essential amino acids and essential fatty acids, the internal organs are a super rich source of those. Sure. You know, while it's unfortunately got a negative view to most of the public, it really shouldn't be because if we look at uh, even some of the research has shown in terms of a you know equal basis of of quality. The chicken byproduct yeah. meal is a higher digestible material than chicken. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that every byproduct is, is better than every chicken. Yeah. Uh, certainly there's big ranges in all of it. But I hope to see really a reversal over the, you know, the coming years that uh, people stop worrying so much about what an ingredient name is and really think about in terms of the overall nutrition that they're providing their dog. So if I say I had a brand new dog today and I was looking at which dog food, you're saying don't worry too much about what the base is, whether it's chicken, bison, salmon, whatever. I should be looking at the overall ingredients or what? I mean, what's the first building block when I'm going to pick a food? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if it were me, if I was sitting in your chair, you know, I would pick up the phone and I would call the company I'm thinking about yeah. meeting and ask them to give me information on the product. Okay. They can't. You know, they may not be able to tell you, you know, down to the exact number in terms of digestibility or, you know, what type of tests are done on it. But they can give you a lot of information in terms of what they do in terms of the products they put forward. And I guess my view would be if they won't share that with me, do I want to feed that? Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's, it's one of those, I think, that if you look at the companies that are... I'm going to say doing a lot of research, doing a good job in terms of testing in their materials. 
you know, those are the, you know, the companies you want to trust your dog with versus, you know, something that's just new to the market that may or may not be, sure. I'm going to say a good, a good starting point for your dog. Sure. That makes, that makes sense. So, well, I like to try to keep these shows around 20, 25 sure. minutes. I think we've got a lot of good information in this one. I'd like to get you back on here real soon, and uh, I definitely want to talk about when to feed dogs, what you know, good feeding schedule, and then also let's talk about how performance and how feeding is going to affect the dog's ability to cool themselves and to watch for this time of year. You know, we always watch about uh, heat exhaustion and everything. So if you're up for that, I'll get you back on here real quick. But I appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. We could talk about this for hours, but I I think we hit some really good (laughs) basics and uh, hopefully it'll generate some thoughts. So thanks, Russ. We'll uh, be talking to you very soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jeff.